Hello, beautiful. I'm your host and life coach, Samantha Roberto, and I want to thank you for joining this conversation. We are a space of women empowering women, and each week we feature an empowered woman's vulnerable story because it's really important to have these conversations so that we can learn and grow from one another. So go subscribe right now to get your weekly dose of inspiration. So before we jump into this week's episode, you guys, I got so many DMs on last week's topic on healing from toxic relationships, healing childhood wounds that keep playing out in patterns of codependency and unhealthy relationships. So if you are single or in a relationship that you feel may not be the healthiest situation, definitely, definitely, definitely after this episode, go tune into last week's show. Our guest just gives so many incredible tips for doing the inner work and healing at your core. And sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to see things when you're in them. Sort of like a fish doesn't know it's in water. And this is why it's so important and why I love sharing other women's stories because it gives an opportunity for a reflection. So sometimes through the stories of other people, you can actually see healing opportunities for yourself. And last week was one of those episodes where I just had so many women, so, so, so many women reach out and say thank you for releasing that. There were certain aspects or points or dynamics of Petcha, my guest's story that really deeply, truly resonated. So thank you for everyone who took the time to reach out. I appreciate it. I love hearing from you guys. So if you're listening right now and you want to connect, definitely find me on Instagram. Let's connect there. And I would love, actually, especially for today's episode, I would love to hear what you think. And lastly, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to let you guys know that next week I will be releasing a really amazing podcast resource. There have been so many of you guys who have reached out over this past year and a half that I've been on my journey and have inquired and been curious about starting your own podcast. And, you know, there's so many questions behind the scenes as to like what it takes to get it done. Stay tuned. Next week, I will be dropping a complete guide to help you get from A to Z and launch your show in a successful way, might I add. You know, a lot of people launch their podcast, but they're not necessarily successful. They're not necessarily strategic. And trust me when I say this, if there is anything that will burn you out, it will be podcasting if it is not done right. Anyways, Now on to today's episode. I am really, really excited about this one because it is a topic that we haven't covered. It is a style of podcast that we really haven't done yet. But when I met the guest, Gia Wirtz, who is incredible, I knew I wanted to share her story. She is an independent documentary filmmaker who is extremely passionate about wrongful convictions. What I love about Her story and her journey is that she had a very successful career in the fashion industry and through a number of synchronistic events, she ended up realizing that she had a deeper purpose that she needed to pursue. So she is very passionate about wrongful convictions. And by following this passion of advocacy work and helping people who 
essentially didn't really have a voice for themselves led to her enrolling in film school and then going on to producing her first uh, short film called Conviction that ended up getting picked up by a number of film festivals, had massive success there. And so now she's working on her first feature film. And, you know, what I love about her story is that she, you know, just followed what she was curious about. She followed her own internal guidance and she trusted that things were going to work out. And now after, you know, immersing herself into this totally different world, learning a new medium, you know, at the age of 40, learning how to produce documentary films, she is achieving the success to follow. And not only about the success, but she is making a difference in a field that she's extremely, extremely passionate about. And she used the time in her life where there was a bit of a pause. She was on maternity leave to really ask the deeper questions to get the clarity to go in the new direction. So I really feel like 2020 has sort of been a pause or like a great opportunity for every single one of us to assess and really look at our lives and make sure that we are in alignment, that we're doing something we're passionate about, that we love what we do. And so if you learn anything from Gia's story, let it be that it's never too late to start something new and you never know the impact that you're going to make. So as you're going to hear shortly, you know, she ended up getting very involved in a number of wrongful conviction cases and used her gifts, used her voice to shine light on the truth. And it directly made a difference in innocent people's lives. And I mean, you guys, you're going to love this episode. Stay tuned until the end because you never really know what's going to happen to you. And I just think that it also really highlights the need for empathy, and you never know what people go through. You never know what shoes you might be in. And I just think that it's really important to speak up whenever you see something that isn't necessarily right. Or if you see something that's wrong, use your voice. So I'm so inspired by the way she's used her voice. I'm so inspired by her whole journey. I know you guys are going to love her. So let's get to this episode. Okay, Gia, I'm so excited for this conversation. I am super grateful that our paths crossed and that we could, you know, be here right now. So first off, thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to chat with you. And I'm really curious about your personal journey because at 40 years old, you switched careers and you, you know, went into a different field. So I kind of want to hear the backstory of what you were doing before and then chat more about what you're up to right now, because it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a 20-year career in the fashion industry before <laughs> going into film. It's funny because I started in like when I was like 18 in retail and then quickly moved up on the corporate side of um, the fashion industry doing like business operations and marketing and that kind of stuff. And I loved it. In my 20s, I was like, I've hit the jackpot. This is like something I would do as a hobby and I'm getting paid really good money to do it. Like this was just, I thought it was it, you know? And uh, you're Canadian as well. So you lived in Calgary, right? Born and raised? Yes. And did this get you to New York City? Was it the fashion card that got you to the big city or what? Wait, are you Canadian? I'm from Thunder Bay. Oh, no way. That is awesome. Yes, I'm from Calgary. And then I moved to Toronto to go to fashion school. So I lived in Toronto. And when I was in Toronto... I met my husband literally just walking down the street. This is before 
people were always on their smartphones and all of that. So people actually talked to strangers on the street and stuff. And he approached me and asked me, he was traveling from Texas and he was like, um, you know, are there good restaurants and good clubs and where's there to go? And he'd ended up in Toronto kind of by chance. He was in Montreal and didn't have a great experience and just drove down to Toronto. So he hadn't kind of, I guess, researched it or whatever. Um, but anyways, um, I met him and he was American and we got married and that's how I ended up in the, in the States. Very cool. And I love your story. That's like, you never know. I always say, you, well, my Nana used to always tell me, you never know what's around the next corner. So always smile, no matter what's on your heart or might be heavy, smile because literally there you go. You meet your husband walking down a street. You know, it's so funny. It's so true. And I agree with you 100%. But that day, I was so not smiling. I was feeling sick. I was under the weather. And I used to work at the time, just part time while I was in college at a talent agency for like actors and models and stuff. And my boss, it was a very small company. And he was a great guy, but he was a total stoner. And I was like, I feel sick. Can I go home early today? And I was such a hard worker. Like I worked insane hours my entire career. And so I felt like this is the only time I've ever asked you if I can leave early. And he was like, well, let me go for lunch and we'll come back and we'll see and yada, yada. And then he went for lunch and he came back and he came back and he smelled like weed. And I was really annoyed because I was like, you're just out there like, you know, having fun and I'm sick and I'm asking if I can go home and you're just doing whatever you want. And so I was really annoyed. And he didn't let me go home early. Well, he let me go home like an hour early. It was like four or something. And sure enough, I walked out and that's when I met my husband. So I guess it was all for, you know, good. Divine timing. I say that there's an invisible hand guiding us all. And this is like a perfect example. That is incredible. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you were, then you, you ended up in New York city. You're into fashion. Yeah. So I ended up first in Texas and then I moved to San Francisco. I was there for 10 years and then I moved to New York um, and I worked in the fashion industry the whole time and uh, I loved it. And then somewhere in my thirties, I started to not like it as much. And it's funny because the higher up I went in the companies, the more bureaucratic it got and the Mm -hmm. less fun it got. And so that was kind of eating away at me because I was like, well, we can't really get stuff done if there's so many roadblocks all the time. And the fun aspect of it got less and less because I got more and more on the business side of it. Um, And so I was starting to kind of just get antsy. And then I just realized at like, well, let me rewind. I got pregnant. And so I stopped working and I had my son. And so since I was a stay-at-home mom, I kind of had time, you know, and distance to reevaluate what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't really want to go back. I got a great job offer in New York working for another fashion brand. And it was more pay than I had ever gotten before. And I really debated it. And then I thought, am I going to be happy doing this? every day, like day to day, like it sounds like a great idea as a package, like the money and the title and the job. But will I be happy coming to work 10 hours a day, 60 hours a week doing the actual day to day work? And the answer was no, absolutely not, you know, and so I didn't take it. And then my husband came home one day and said, you got to listen to this podcast. And I'm a really visual person. So back then I listened to a lot of them now, but it was before podcasts were big. And I was like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, well, it's a true crime story, which I've always been really into. And uh, I said, no, I just rather watch like a movie or, you know, something with a visual aspect. And he said, well, it's about a Pakistani family and my family's Pakistani. And I've always been obsessed with true crime stories. And uh, that really intrigued me. And I said, okay, let's hear it. And he played it while we ate dinner. And then I was hooked. It was Serial, the podcast. And (laughs) I was hooked like everybody else. And so then he played the second episode, the third and the fourth. And 
I said, let's play the next one. And he's like, there's no more. It releases every Thursday and this is all we have. And I was like, no. And I was just, you know, addicted like everybody. And that got me, um, it, it just kind of stuck with me because I really believe that Adnan, the subject of serial, is innocent. And so it really bothered me that this guy has been in prison all this time. And I had already had this passion for this cause when I was 20, I read a book by Reuben Carter called The 16th Round. And it's also a wrongful conviction story. It's actually the book that the Denzel Washington movie, The Hurricane is based on. And it's a really, really heartbreaking book. And so that always stuck with me. And so listening to the podcast made me kind of want to go back and do something to help this cause. And that's what got me on this track of thinking I should do something around this. And then I organized a fundraiser for Adnan from Serial, um, just so I could help some way. I didn't know what else to do. And through that fundraiser, I met Jeff. He was a speaker at my fundraiser. And he's the guy that I made the documentary about now. So it all just kind of one thing led to the other. Mm -hmm. A few things I want to highlight. Like, I mean, there's so many important nuggets here. Number one, the question, am I going to be happy doing this in a day-to-day life? I think that is so important because it really boils down to like, is this actually going to fulfill my soul? Yes or no. And there's only a yes or no. Like that's, it's easy. Cut and dry. Just yes or no. And the fact that you followed that was, was amazing. So I really want like anybody listening, important, important question. Yes. And then the other, the other thing, I mean, just the way that the universe again brought these pieces to you and how through your action, you got clarity. Cause you probably like prior to this, really, like, did you ever have an idea to become a filmmaker or do anything really like that? Or did it come through just this spark within you of being just so passionate about the subject? Um, you know, when I was trying to figure out what I could do to help Adnan from the Serial Podcast. I got to know his family really well, and they're just amazing people, and they're so kind and so wonderful. And I went to his post-conviction hearing when it happened, I think, in 2015 or 16, 15, I think. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Sorry. It was a few years ago. But anyways, whenever it was. And um, there was a camera crew there. And Mm -hmm. we didn't know why they were there. But after a couple of days of spending time there and having dinner with the family, um, one of them said, you know, we can't say anything because it hasn't been released to the public yet. But HBO is doing a documentary on this story. And that's why the camera crew is here. So like, you know, um, just FYI, you might be on camera or whatever. And that really got my interest because I was like, I'd been really racking my brain about like, what can I do more than just volunteer or more than just donate some small amounts of money here and there, you know? And um, I have a 20 year background in photography. I've done photography as long as I've been in the fashion industry. And so I was watching, there was a cameraman and I think a producer, that's it, I think, maybe three people, but it was such a small crew. And in my, you know, naive mind at the time, I was looking at them and I was like, these three people are making an HBO documentary. Like, this is how easy it is. I can do this. I have camera equipment. (laughs) Right? When you see it, you're like, wait a second. I think I could do that. Yeah. And it was so naive though, because there's like hundreds of people behind these editors and, you know, musicians and all this stuff. But luckily I didn't realize that because maybe it would have deterred me from doing it. But I watched them and I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is what would reach a wider audience. You know, this is how I can help the cause. And so I came home and I thought about it for a while. And then I talked to my husband and I was like, you know, I kind of want to go to film school. And, you know, we decided I would do it. And I went and took a program at New York Film Academy for documentary filmmaking. And that went really, really well. And then when I graduated that program, I continued filming Jeff's story, which I started filming in school. And and then I ended up making this this documentary. And 
one of the TAs in the school said, you got to submit this to film festivals. And I was like, and it was a much like shorter, smaller version I did for my final, like my final project at school. And I wasn't thinking of doing that at all. But when he said it, I was like, well, what harm is there? You know, I submit it and they don't take it or I submit it and they do and whatever. And so that's what I did. And sure enough, within a month, we got into three festivals. And then as of last two weeks ago, we got into our 10th festival. And then like three days ago or five days ago, we were nominated for three awards, um, best picture, best documentary and best uh, cinematography. And so it's just kind of like, you know, it's been really well received, which has been nice because it gives me confidence to do more. And I literally had body chills, like being able to see the process of how that's happening and how everything is stacking into place. It's incredible. And for you, it's just like, what's the next step? What's the next step? It's like, hey, like I'm going to go to film school and then hey, what's the harm? Why not submit it? You know, like I just feel like there's so many important life lessons through your example. This is incredible. Yeah. I mean, it feels that way too, you know, which is really nice. So can you tell us a little bit about your film and explain everything behind it? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a story of Jeffrey Deskovic. He was a 16-year-old kid in high school, and he lived in a town that had really little crime. I think for the last decade or more, there was no murders in this place. It's in Peekskill. And he, um, unfortunately, a girl in his school, she was 15 years old, was raped and murdered. And mm-hmm. the police came, obviously, to question students because she was on a photography assignment that she'd been assigned at school when this happened. She went into like a wooded area to shoot nature and stuff and and she was killed and as the police officers questioned students some of the students said you should look into jeff he's odd you know he's a quiet kid like he's awkward or whatever and that's mm-hmm. all it took in the beginning for the police to focus on him and then they got all kinds of other things. They got a NYPD did like a criminal profile and Jeff mm-hmm. fit the criminal profile of who they thought did it, you know, who would have like most likely done it kind of thing. And that's how he got wrapped into this. And then Jeff was, his dreams were to be a cop at the time. And so when the cops approached him and were like, hey, what do you know about this? And can you help us? They approached him in a way like, you're going to help us solve this. And so he got really engaged with them. And then he would keep going and they kept feeding him details of the murder that he wouldn't have known. But months later, he knew all this information, and then they drove him out to a different city, to a different police station, and they questioned him for seven hours with no food, didn't tell his mom they were taking him anywhere. So he was somewhere he didn't recognize. He had no parent or guardian. He was 16 years old. And they said, you know, you got to confess to this crime because we know you did it. And they just, you know, kind of abused him verbally until he said he did it. And they said, if you tell us you did it, you get to go home. And it's manipulation, right? Like that, like you hear about these stories and it's like literally planting seeds. Like you, you sort of see it time and time again. It reminds me of the West Memphis three, Yes, you know, yeah. Like, you know, like that's another sort of famous film and and yes. Or Central Park five, Central Park five. It's like, you know, because you want to solve the case and because you have this like psychological profile, it's like, this is our guy and we're going to find a way to pin him and using these things to manipulate, you know, a child, like a, 15 year old. Yeah. And it's just right into the trap. Oh my God. I have. Okay. Yeah. Can continue. So the film is his story. So then he got a public defender. He didn't have money um, for a good lawyer. His, he's a single mom. His father was never in his life. And so he got a public defender who wasn't good and he got convicted of a rape and murder and he got 15 years to life. And he went to a max security prison as a 16, 17 year old kid. And then the film is about his fight from that point forward to gain his freedom. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine like how traumatizing that would be. And even like, 
I mean, there's so many layers to it. So um, I'm curious, how did you find his story? Um, I remember I did that um, I did that fundraiser for Adnan from the subject from Serial. And a friend of mine who I was organizing fundraiser with, we were talking and I said, you know, I really want to find somebody that would be a good speaker at this event because, you know, I'm not a, an expert in wrongful convictions. Like I'm not the right person. And uh, she said, I met this guy at a party a while ago and he has almost like a very similar story to Anon. And so she introduced me to him and that's how I met Jeff. Uh, Okay. Then he was the speaker at my event. And then Jeff and I kind of kept in touch over the years because I had met up with him for coffee once uh, and talked to him a couple of times about what could I do to support the cause? Like I'd asked him, should I start a podcast? Should I, um, you know, go law school? Like what would most help? Because he does work. He does advocacy work in this area now. And so I just picked his brain and we kept in touch. And then when the time came and I was in film school and we had to find, you know, a film to make, I wanted to really make a film on this topic. And he was the person I knew personally. So I mm-hmm. reached out to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the process of going through the film and putting it together, what do you feel like, what were the the main, like the undercurrents to it? Like the main points that um, you wanted to highlight as you were, were creating it? Um, well, the, the documentary is a documentary short, and I'm currently working on the feature length documentary, which is almost finished. So it hopefully release in 2021. So for a short, um, the thing is, Jeff's story is so complex, like so much happened, you know, over the course of years and your decades. And so when you're making a short, you really have to focus on one aspect of it because it's too much information to put into a little short you know, episode, you know, pretty much like 30 minutes mm-hmm. or under. And so I focused on Jeff's personal struggles. Like how did he navigate life after that? Um, so how long did he go to, just to give some context to this, how long was he in prison for? 16 years. He served the 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of his, I mean, imagine from 17 to like 34, 33, however old he was when he got out, it's like your prime years, you know? Mm. Yeah. You can't even imagine, you know, like you can't even to be a child, to be a teenager and just be pulled out of your life in this way and have, you know, having gone through that traumatic experience. Yeah. You can't, you just can't unless you've been through it. I can't even imagine. So with it, what were, even for him, when he got out, did he get out with a wrongful conviction? Yes, he was exonerated. So he he really had to fight a lot on his own because he didn't have money for lawyers and he had exhausted all his appeals and stuff. So and this he talks about this in the film. It's really interesting. He he wrote letters. He wrote letters for like every day he would just write letters to people, people he didn't know, but people who were like Innocence Project or did advocacy work in for this, you know, field. And um, he said 99% of the time, nobody ever wrote him back, but eventually somebody did. And actually somebody he wrote to forwarded his letter to somebody who could help him. And um, mm-hmm. her name was Claudia Whitman. And she, is the one who recommended that he reach out to Innocence Project again because he had done it in the past and it didn't pan out. And then she looked at his case and was like, well, now you have a different reason to reach out to them, kind of gave him an avenue. And that's Mm -hmm. what it eventually led to him getting out. The reason he was able to get out is because Angela, the girl who was murdered, was raped. And so there was DNA, there was semen. And unfortunately, Jeff could have been out years and years earlier, but Janine Pirro was a DA in Westchester County at the time and denied the DNA testing over and over again and didn't let him, he requested for it to be tested. And she said no. And so, yeah, he only got out when a new DA was appointed and she said yes. And as soon as they tested the DNA, they found the real guy and Jeff got out. But he could have saved years of his life. Years of someone's life and then and all of like his life, his family's life, everybody yes. else is connected. Like it's not 
and I'm not even saying just him because it's not, but it's like there's there's a whole spillover of where this goes. Yeah. Um, I'm curious when you get exonerated, and when he got exonerated and he was released, what did they do? Like, what do they even say? Like, is it like how do you even? Yeah, you know, I don't even know. I what I know is, I mean, I've seen Jeff did like a press conference the day he got out, and I've obviously seen that, and it's really interesting. But they don't give you any resources. He was Jeff a while after getting out of prison was almost homeless because they don't you don't have money, you can't get hired, you have a criminal record. I mean, he got exonerated, so he didn't have a criminal record, but there was a stigma that goes along with it, and um, everything takes a really long time. Like one time, he even tried to fly to Canada because he was going to speak to a class mm-hmm. for like um, law students. And he had trouble flying, even though he was exonerated and he had no record, but somehow it was still in their system. And they were like, oh, you know, of course, it's like, they're like, we don't yeah. know. Are you really exonerated? Like in the moment, whoever you're dealing with does like, do I believe this person or not? Because my computer says X, Y, Z. He had a lot, a lot of hurdles and a lot of issues after he got out. Wow. I can't even, yeah, I can't even imagine. You know, the one thing I want to highlight with this is that, you know, you can make a difference like, because, you know, the one person who got his letter passed it to somebody, even though they couldn't do anything, they passed it forward. That one decision made a difference. And I think that's, you know, so important because, you know, even you having this feeling and following that inkling and going, it's like, it all adds up and who knows Yes, light this movie is going to shine light on to maybe help remedy a little bit of the system or at least shine light on, you know, some of the like, um, breaks in it and upbreak. Yeah. Like the broken system. Yeah. Broken system. Right. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're a hundred percent right. Whoever that person was that forwarded it. I mean, thank God they did because they could have done nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're in the process of creating a feature film, like a longer version. So this yes. is like for the rate it's going, who knows, this could be like 2021 or 2022, like <laughs> really out there, motion picture. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully 2021 really would have been done already, except for COVID put a halt on all production and we, we can't go into film in a lot of places. Like we were supposed to go film at the high school and they've completely shut it down to any outside people because students are back in school and they can't expose them to the virus. And then the prisons normally let, you know, reporters and journalists and filmmakers in to shoot certain things. And right now that whole thing is shut down because they're not letting anyone in and out. Some prisons aren't even letting family visits anymore for a while. So the prisoners are really isolated. Um, so it's it's uh, really put a uh, uh, damper on the whole thing and it's halted production altogether. So what are the biggest lessons that this whole process following this? Like if you had to choose three really like deep aha lessons for you. What are the three things that you've learned through jumping into this whole, this whole field? Oh, that's interesting. Oh God, I have to put thought into that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, one, I, you know, I was telling my husband this, the very, very first day I was shooting the documentary, like in school, when I went on my first shoot, it just felt right. Like it was, everything felt right. I was like, this is what I should be doing. And I was so glad that I didn't go back into the corporate fashion world. So I think like pay attention to those those feelings, you know, um, like your Mm -hmm. inner, inner dialogue. And when you just doesn't feel right kind of thing. Um, I'm all about that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Right. Me too. Me too. So there's that. What else? I mean, I guess another big one would be for me is I always have imposter syndrome. Like in the back of my mind, I'm always telling myself I can't do things for some reason. I don't know why I do that. And, uh, it's important to just do them anyways, because Mm -hmm. somebody said to me, like, you will, uh, I took a class and they said, you'll always regret not trying that thing, but you'll never regret actually trying it. So that, you know, it's so true. 
So true. So important, right? Like you, you want to look back when you're 80 years old or 90 years old, looking back at your life to know that you just, you tried and you showed up and you did the thing. Like, exactly. you you don't know where it's going to lead, right? Like you didn't know the journey that this would be going on when you first got into it. And a part of you is like, good thing I didn't know about all the technical stuff because it might've stopped me from trying. Absolutely. You know, right. But it got you there. So yeah. Yeah, that that's a big one. I think I don't know if I can think of a third, but um, I guess it, it's not so surprising. But maybe for me, but maybe for the average person, it would be like Jeff said that uh, once he was out, he had a lot of trouble. Um, he had a really hard time dating and finding, you know, just getting his life back together, but especially in the dating aspect, because he would meet women. And because once he got out of prison, he ended up doing advocacy work for other people who were wrongfully convicted. And he said he would meet women and they would say, why are you so passionate about this, this thing? You know, because most people, that's not a cause most people are, you know, behind really, or even aware of. And he said, it just takes a couple of questions for him to have to say, oh, well, I was wrongfully convicted, or they just Google him before they meet Mm -hmm. and they find out everything. Right. And he said that most women are like, okay, yeah, you were innocent, but you grew up in prison. So how did that impact you? Like what kind of after effects do you have? Are you violent? And they just, they leave before anything even gets started. Like that's the beginning and the end of it all. And so he's had a really hard time finding somebody. And that's really sad. It's like the punishment just keeps on going. You know, you were already wrongfully convicted and punished once, and then it just continues on for the rest of your life. Wow. Again, it's like sort of, you can't even imagine what it would be like. And even like a family member, anybody going through that, but I really honor the work that you do. I really honor the fact that you've pivoted into us and you just stepped in and that you're really, you know, in a hard aligned place. You're in a passionate like advocacy work, you know, bringing light to this because if you don't do it, who would, right? Yeah. It's kind of odd to say this sometimes, but it's been really fulfilling and really fun and really great. And it's odd to use the word fun because it can be so sad at times, but just the process of being behind the camera and doing something you love. And then after the fact, you know, once you put it out there and it was received well, that's really great. And most importantly, Jeff loved it, you know, and I was really happy that, you know, he trusted me. And it was probably healing for him too, like going through this process as well. Like there's probably an aspect of it that's therapeutic or healing. I'm sure there is. I'm absolutely sure that's true. The thing with Jeff is he got out 14 years ago and for the 14 years he's been doing work in this area. So he has told his story so many times. I think he's went through that therapeutic process. Um, Some people asked me um, when I did other podcasts um, after they saw the film, they said, how come Jeff is so like even keel and so open and so candid so easily and not upset, you know, when he's talking. And I think that's part of the reason why, because he's told his story so many times and he's had years of therapy and he's already Mm kind of went through that process. And I asked him that in one of the interviews when I was filming and he said that he almost feels like he's talking about somebody else. Like it seems like Mm -hmm. somebody else's life, like he's compartmentalized it just to deal with it mentally. And Mm -hmm. he almost feels like he's not talking about himself when he talks about it, which is really interesting. Interesting. I want to kind of go into the creative process because I feel like, you know, as a filmmaker and stepping into it, there's so, you know, so many gems there. What do you think it takes to tell a good story? Oh, man. You know, this was such a huge uh, topic in school. This is something that we went into a lot. There was an entire classes on it. (laughs) Perfect. Share with us. (laughs) Because uh, if you have great camera, great audio, great everything, but the story's not good, like, forget about it. You're not going to have a good film, period. And so they really, really hammered that into us in school. But I mean, there is no one simple answer because it was such a broad topic. 
Um, for me personally, I really like letting the person who went through it tell the story and not do narration and not have like the documentarian in the film or asking questions. Like I feel like just let the story tell itself, you know, and let the audience like feel it and be in it and, and go through it with the person. I think the mm-hmm. other things almost, this is my personal opinion because there's lots of documentaries that do it that way, but I prefer it to be just that person's story and you're not in it, you know, not your voice, not anything like that. Um, but it definitely has to have, you know, we say there's that arc of like, you know, a challenge or like an obstacle and they got to overcome it. And there has to be like a really strong beginning and a really strong ending. But like I said, there's ent- we took entire courses on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more deep than that. Yeah. <laughs> what about the creative process? Because I mean, you were in the fashion industry and then now you're in film and, you know, creativity is something that I think every single human has within them. I personally didn't identify. Like I used to tell myself the story that I wasn't creative. I'm like, I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. And I specifically remember a moment when I was in Bali, maybe four years ago, when all of a sudden, as I was journaling, I realized I'm like, wait a second, like I am an artist and my life is my masterpiece and I am creative. And it was like this whole belief was shattered. And then that's when I started exploring, you know, my creative side and and being more open to it. Yeah. So I would love to hear your recommendations for or what you think creativity is. Let's go with that first. Well, you know, first of all, I feel the same way you do. And I've always thought that about myself too, my entire life. I can't draw, I can't sing. I can, you know, I've never thought I'm the creative type person, but I really enjoy creative things. So there is that. So for me, the medium was a camera, you know, photography, because I don't have to draw and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but I thought the same thing. But I do agree, there is always some facet, you know, that everybody can do. And for me, this is what works. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to define it. Essentially, like, like, I love that your answer was essentially find your medium. So whatever it is, that's going to help access that thing within you that feels really good and natural. I mean, that's great advice. And there's so many different mediums out there, whether it's podcasting, whether it's writing, whether it's film, whether it's photography, whether it's fashion and clothes. And yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. That that is exactly it. What do you do? to tap into your creativity? Like when you feel like a little bit, do you get like writer's block, like quote unquote writer's block or feel blocked and then have a process? I, I don't. It's so funny because I love documentaries. I don't like, um, I don't really like fiction books. I like watching narrative films, but I don't like making narrative films. I like fiction because I really like real life stuff. The great thing about that is with documentaries, there isn't a lot of writing involved (laughs) because you're not writing a script. You're filming real life, right? And so I never feel that because as soon as I pick up a camera, even if it's nothing, if I'm just going for a walk shooting, I'm inspired immediately to shoot stuff. Like it doesn't matter if it's just empty streets. I love shooting people, nature, anything. So as soon as I have a camera, I'm, I'm like good to go. Love it. It's almost, and when I hear this, I sort of hear, find what you love to do. Notice what you love. And for you, it was true crime. You know, in a sense, like that was kind of the thing that you were like, oh, I really like that. So when your husband, and I love that you said it was a podcast, because I always say you never know, like one book, one article, one podcast, one conversation has the ability to completely change the trajectory of of your life. Yes. And I like that you mentioned that because it was the one podcast you listened to that was just sort of got you into it and got you to the next step and the next step and the next step. Yes, absolutely. For sure. And again, it's like listening to that that voice, right? Listen to the inner voice. I say this time and time again, I'm all about cultivating your intuition, really tuning in and creating space for it. And then, you know, noticing like, oh, you know, I really enjoy this and, and asking like, you know, 
people make careers. Like how you were saying, when you're at their family's house, as you were leaving, you're like, wait a second, there's three guys outside and they're doing an HBO series. Like I could do that. And, you know, cause I, I really do feel like so many people put themselves in boxes of like, you gotta be a, and nothing against these professions, like a, a teacher or a firefighter or a nurse, like, you know, or like whatever, like just something that's very rigid. Yeah. Where the creative, you know, it's sometimes harder to see how it could be possible. For sure. I mean, my husband and I talk about this often. It's like also with kids, like when your parents are raising you and they talk about professions or college, it's always those professions that are like, do you want to study this, 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 or this? But then there's all these other jobs that you don't even know exist. Like you can be a stuntman or you can be a race car driver or you can be a whatever, but those are never really told to you. So they're almost not even an option unless you somehow, you know, stumble upon it, realize it yourself later. But if you were on that path, younger in life too, you could get further, you know, faster. But most people are like, oh, I started in this and then I didn't like it. So then I switched to this when you realized yeah. that you could do that other thing, you know? Totally. I mean, I knew like I'm, I'm a coach, I'm a mindset coach, but I knew it was a joke when I was a teenager in university. My roommates and I used to joke that I was the life coach. And this was like 13 years ago. And I secretly down, like deep down inside, I knew that's exactly who I am. Like this is my purpose. This is what I meant to do, but it wasn't really like an accepted, not accepted, but it wasn't really a common profession back then. It's a lot more, you know, apparent oh, now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so I went into real estate and real estate, I still use qualities of helping people through life transitions. Like I, I looked at it that way and I genuinely really loved it. But real estate for me was almost, almost like a shadow career. It was like, I'm kind of doing the thing that I love, but it's not fully it. So when my intuition spoke to me and it's like, there was more, I'm so grateful that I had the courage like you to listen and be like, okay, I'm going to get curious. What is this more? And, and I listened to it. Yeah. Good for you. Absolutely. And it, led me to traveling and getting into, you know, personal development and which led me into this path, which totally lights me up. But that question that you said, am I going to be happy doing this every single day is so important. You know, I, I apply that to so many decisions. Like when decisions feel big and you're like, oh, it's almost like paralyzing or like, what am I going to do? If you'd break it down to like, what would the day look like? <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's really easy to be like, um, no. <laughs> what would the day look like? Am I going to be happy doing this? Uh -huh. It's like, all of a sudden you, you sort of, you know, you get rid of like the big block and the chaos and you're like, actually, no. And then it's easier just to like, put it to the side. And then you intuitively know you're like, oh my gosh, thank God I didn't take that, you know, exact fashion position or whatever it was yes. because like, this is so much more fulfilling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think majority of people, like how you were explaining, you know, your real estate career, I think majority of people are in that position where they're doing this, but like, if they could, money wasn't an issue. And if they could, they would be doing this other thing, you know? And there's a way, like if, if money wasn't an issue, like, cause that's a common limiting belief that comes mm -hmm. up because of all these money blocks. It's like, it's just a matter. And anybody listening who this is resonating, like get curious, like start getting curious, start making more space in your life, carving more space for things that really light you up. And you never know where that inspiration and that creativity is really going to come to or come from and guide you. So it's just a, it's a fun journey. And I'm so grateful that you were on it and that you did it because 2021, hopefully, or 2022, we got a feature film. <laughs> I'm coming. <laughs> yes. Fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, my dear. So if anybody wants to watch Conviction, yeah. where can you do that? So it's on Amazon Prime. 
Um, yes. They can watch it there. Amazing. Thank you so much for, for coming on. If anybody wants to connect with you, where can they do that? Uh, so on Facebook, it's uh, our Facebook page is Conviction Documentary. And if Perfect. they want to connect with me on Instagram, my Instagram is Gia Docs. So it's J-I-A-D-O-C-S, like short for documentaries. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gia. This was a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me, Sam. It was. It was great talking to you. And by the way, you're so good at this. Can I just say? <laughs> Thank you. You know what? I genuinely, like I said, like when you're, I genuinely love it. And when you love it, it's just, it just goes through and it's just, you know, I learn so much when you get this connection and you know, it just, yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell, I can tell it's really, you're really good at it. <laughs> oh my, literally. I'm like, oh my gosh, coming from uh, you know, film festival, award-winning documentary. Oh my God. You have no idea how much this means. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. All of Gia's contacts going to be in the show notes definitely right now go to Amazon Prime and go watch Conviction, you guys. You're going to be blown away. I was actually talking to my editor, my podcast editor, and as soon as she listened to the episode, she ended up watching Conviction and then going down this rabbit hole of wrongful convictions and the justice system. And, you know, it's just such a fascinating and really sad reality and circumstance for so many people. Like I said in the episode, it reminds me of like the West Memphis Three. It's another crazy good wrongful conviction movie that starred Johnny Depp from like maybe 10, 15 years ago. I don't even know how long ago. I remember I saw it a while ago, but it was definitely eye-opening and just like crazy to wrap your mind around. So let me know what you think. I would love to hear what you think about today's episode. And remember, if you haven't already, go tune into last week's show. You are going to love it. It was all about healing from toxic relationships and calling in a loving, beautiful partnership. So on that note, next week, you know what? I think next week I'm going to try to see if I can get my partner, Simon, on for a round three of our situation and how we ended up in Grenada. We still haven't shared that story with you. For those of you guys that are new here, I have been living on the island of Grenada, which is off the coast of Venezuela for the past two months, two and a half months actually, and it has been a complete dream, but it was a nightmare <laughs> prior to getting here, but it all turned out to be a blessing in disguise as it always does. So stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm going to do my best to get Simon on to cooperate for that. And until then, keep being you, be beautiful. <laughs>